Where are disciples made? How would you answer that question? That's the one we're looking at tonight. Now, some might say uh, somewhere else, like my old friend Joan. I served alongside Joan on a diaconate years ago, and I remember her in one meeting as we were thinking about a church vision, passionately appealing for a greater focus on making disciples. But by that, she meant sending missionaries to other lands. To Joan, disciple-making meant going somewhere else or sending someone else. Others would say the where or answer the where question with, a, well, right here in the local church. Uh, my friend Bill, who was also a deacon at the same time as Joan and at that same meeting as Joan, said, who, who would say discipleship was for people who had become Christians and the church should create more ministries that properly serve the body. And what do you think about those two views? I guess you could ask what's good about them. Uh, Joan certainly has a heart for those who haven't heard about Jesus. That's a wonderful thing and not to be taken for granted uh, in the slightest. Bill really wants people to see that in people in the church family flourish. That is a great thing too. But what's not good about them? Well, Joan thinks Matthew 28 is for nations far away, not realising interpretatively that we're actually the nations it mentions. We're the far off people that the disciples were setting out to reach. So the problem with her view is that disciple making is done for other people in other nations, but not for her church or not in her city right there where she is. Bill's views create different problems. Like we said in week two, the word Disciple means something different to Bill. It, it's changed its meaning for him. As a result, he has little interest in helping the church reach out to people who don't believe in Jesus, locally or globally. And it's not hard even as you just peel back some of the layers to see what they've done. They've created a kind of unbiblical dichotomy. They've each focused on one aspect of disciple making to the exclusion of the other. And there's a tendency in Christ learners like us to do the same and to locate disciple making in one or the other, in the world alone, it's all about evangelism, or in the church alone, it's all about discipleship. But as we'll see today, making disciples is for both. Let's take a look at the diagram we've been building layer by layer throughout this series. There is an obvious two-part answer to the where question in the diagram, isn't there? We are to make disciples, help people take one step closer towards Christ in two different places, the domain of darkness and the kingdom of the sun, or to put it more simply, in the world and in the church. So we're gonna look at those in turn and locate ourselves, answer the question, where do we make disciples? So number one, we make disciples in the world. But not just in far-flung places like Joan thought. We make disciples wherever we are, wherever there is darkness. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, the dominion of darkness. And that's what people in the world are rescued from when Christ is preached, the Spirit moves and they repent. It says... He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the dominion of darkness isn't a place. It's not a geographical nation state. The dominion of darkness is a spiritual state. Where do we find 
that darkness all around us, in every nation, certainly in our own, in our city, in our streets, sometimes in our homes. And that's where we strive to make disciples of those who don't yet know and love Jesus. Now, God sends his disciples into the darkness to rescue people from it. That's what we've been learning. This is what God sent the Apostle Paul to do, for example. In Acts chapter 26, in verses 17 to 18, we find Jesus apprehending, uh, Paul recounting what happened when Jesus apprehended him and brought him to saving faith. And Paul says, this is the, well, these are the words of Jesus, where he says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm send, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So it's very clear from the veneer of darkness to light. But this isn't just a task for those of a special office like Paul. To all believers, the apostle Peter writes, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this proclaiming work is done by those who were in darkness, but by those who are now in the light. So wherever there is darkness, we are to lead people towards the light of the gospel. We make disciples then everywhere we go, wherever we are, because the darkness is all around us. Unforgiveness uh, uh, is all around us. Now, what would Joan make of that? To Joan, who, uh, to Joan for whom disciple making meant going somewhere else or sending someone else. Well, it's not that, is it? It's, it's what God calls us to is to live as those who are already sent wherever we are. It's to have a better understanding of what it means to live as disciple makers right where God has placed us. Of course, we can go other places and some who are convicted that this is what God wants them to do should, but we don't need to go somewhere else to do it. We just need to do it wherever we are and we being the operative word. You see, new disciples are brought from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the sun through the work of local churches. In other words, a body of believer working body of believers working together. We are thoroughly individualistic at times when it comes to our disciple making evangelism. We think we're on our own, but we're not. This is a collective endeavour. We are to involve one another. Um, and we do that when we pray together. Um, if we do that in a service that you watch or attend, you know, add your amen to the prayer for the salvation of our city. You know, if someone in your growth group mentions someone they're talking to about Jesus, partner them in prayer throughout the rest of the week, not just on that occasion, and let them know about that partnership. It will thrill them and encourage them. Of course, we demonstrate this collective endeavour by talking to people that fellow members have brought along to something, maybe a meal in someone's house or a church when it's on. We do that. We offer a good testimony, a good witness by not being weird, but by looking for opportunities to commend Christ. And we can, of course, join 
in serving in some of these areas of making disciples of those who are not Christians, join in prayer or in participation in Christianity Explored or Life Course. Share the gospel with folks that you meet at the at church when we do gather. The problem for many churches, though, is that most struggle to look beyond their doors and the boundaries of their fellowship to neighbours and peoples and subcultures and communities around them. Is that something we do? We need to work hard to make sure that that can't be said of us. Instead, we need to work together to make sure that we're about the business of making disciples of those who are in darkness. So let me encourage you to do a couple of things. First of all, engage people in friendship and conversation together. Make time for people. Clear space in the calendar. Invite people. Get them around your table. Go for a nice meal when you're allowed. Uh, go for a walk and involve others. Engage people. And as you do, look for opportunities to do the second thing. Evangelise people with the gospel and do it together. The old saying, preach the gospel and use words if necessary, is proverbial claptrap. You have to use words. The gospel is news to be communicated. People will only be saved if they hear it. And they'll only hear it if Christians tell it. That's what Romans 10 tells us. Now, most of the time, we will talk about everyday things with people from the standpoint of our Christian worldview. It won't be the fact that we're, we won't always share the gospel in two minutes with them. But we should help each other by prayer or by participation in, the, in, pro, in proclaiming the necessity of repentance and faith in Christ in his death and resurrection and the life to come. We should get to that point of sharing the gospel or opening the Bible with someone. Like reading the word one-to-one, -one, as we've thought about in some of our services in recent weeks. How are we doing at this? What can we do to make disciples collectively together? What can we do even in the next week to take one step to help us take things up a notch? Maybe think about that at the end of the service. Talk about it with someone else. Get ready to can recapture even the place of hospitality when lockdown restrictions lift. I just can't commend the dining room table enough as a place for making disciples. God can use it with amazing effectiveness in the lives of those around us, just as he did in the life of Rosaria Butterfield. She was, by her own admission, a progressive liberal feminist, uh, a lesbian. Together, she is a believer, married to a loving husband and an author of Christian books. What did her Christian friends use to engage and evangelise her? A meal. And then another meal. And then another meal, over which her Christian hosts would talk about their faith and show their love. It was as simple as practising the kind of hospitality that sees the home, not as a little silo designed for our own undisturbed peace, but tools for the gospel. The question is, is that how we view our homes? Now, some at the prospect of that think, oh, I don't want people in my home. I like my peace and quiet. I want my kids in bed, remote in hand, slippers on. People in my house, dishes in the sink. Sounds dreadful, we suddenly think, but it's not. It's glorious. And what a tool for engaging and evangelising those who are lost. With a wider lens, as we think about making disciples in the world through our local church, you know, why not think about what we could do better at reaching those in darkness? 
whether in our city or further afield. It's not something I'm saying no to. No, we should be reaching people in our city, in our nation and beyond. That's why we plant churches. That's why we send out trained workers. And it's why we send out cross-cultural workers too. Well, make disciples in the world. We do that around us through the local church doing it together by engaging and evangelising those in darkness. That's why the first part of our, that's the first part of our answer to the where question. The second is this, we make disciples in the church. Now this is where my old friend Bill was on to something. He really did grasp the importance of the local church in growing disciples, although he thought about it in far too programmatic a way. It's much more relational and organic than I think he realised. Making disciples for Joan, of course, was all about the lost, but the Bible tells us that our discipleship doesn't stop when we come to faith. No, in fact, we are to grow disciples in every aspect of our life together, in the kingdom of the Son. That's where we make disciples, in the church as well. We do it, of course, not for our salvation like we did before with non-Christians, but for our edification. Now, the New Testament, again, is full of verses that show that we gather together not to hang out, but to help each other change, to encourage, build each other up in our faith. So we we find passages that talk about us speaking, teaching, instructing, even admonishing each other with what? Yeah, the same gospel, the same gospel words, driving home the application of the gospel. Isn't this exactly what Paul was talking to the church in Rome about, in Romans chapter 15, where he says, I myself am satisfied about you, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. So how, though, do we lovingly disciple one another towards Christ-likeness like we're being commended to in the New Testament? Well, again, there are two simple ways we can do that. Seek to establish one another in our faith. Help each other send down deep roots and produce in our lives godly fruit. That's what God wants us to do, to grow up into the likeness of Christ. And this is exactly what prepares us for when storms and suffering comes, when faith is rocked or endurance needed. I mean, how many of us can look back to the helpful hand we received from mature believers who read the Bible with us or put a good book in our hands or helped us establish a pattern for what a person actually does when they become a Christian, you know, talking to us about things like baptism, membership, attendance, service, evangelism, all these different things. We've already talked about many of them in recent weeks, but growing disciples, again, we have to underscore, is never done. It's an ongoing work. And and in ongoing ways, we do the second thing. We equip one another in our faith. It's like The establishing is for those who are new to the faith. The equipping is for those who are just ongoingly living out their faith. We know why. There's always more to learn. I mean, the Bible is like a mine of treasured ore, ready to be dug by those who together seek to grow in what they know and become more like Jesus in what they do. So dig deeper together. There's always something to navigate as well, isn't there? In life, we, we need wisdom to ride the turbulence of life. So equip each other with the knowledge you've got to grips with and share it as 
uh, 2 Corinthians 1 highlights that we, even in our suffering and our griefs, we comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So take what you have received, even through a hard experience, and share it with others to make their experience easier. There's also always something to improve. That's why we equip each other. You know, sometimes that's effectiveness in an area of ministry service, like leading a small group. But sometimes, in fact, all the time, it's, a, it's about improving in an aspect of our character. There is always some vice revealed in our struggle with the sinful, uh, the, that the struggle with the sinful nature shows us um, and tells us again and again that change is an ongoing thing for us. We are, we have not arrived. We are not there when it comes to holiness. And nothing equips us for putting sin to death and putting on godly character quite like helping each other change. It's a mutual thing. Change is a community project, as we've said before. And there's also always a need for trained people. Yes, for pastors, planters, women's workers and youth workers and the like, but even in the local church, to have people well-trained as leaders who can multiply more leaders in these disciple-making endeavours that we've been talking about is absolutely crucial. That's why we want to seek to equip more people. So what is it for you? What can you do in the next week to take things up a notch? in establishing or equipping someone, uh, one another in the faith. Maybe think about that at the end of the service. Are you a new Christian? Maybe you're needing established. We'd love to serve you in that. If you've been a Christian for a while, what gaps do you see in your understanding and application of the gospel? We would really love to help you in that. Uh, would you like help to grow in some particular area? Would you like to learn uh, certain skills like Bible handling? like writing Bible studies or sermons? Would you like to become an equipper of others? We'd love to serve you too as we make disciples together. And if you're watching this as an, uh, and you're not a Christian, I, I want you to grasp something about why we talk this way and why we encourage folks to do this. Um, uh, Christians can sometimes get this whole idea that People can have an idea of Christians that they're just like, oh man, they're just all out, all out for our conversion. Well, actually, it's absolutely true. We take it very seriously and we think it through carefully. And even as a leader in a church, I'm eager to help train people to know how better to do that. Here's why. Because your eternal soul is at stake. And if we don't do it, if we don't tell you how it is, no one will. The gospel is so good, it's news we want to share. And we want you to know it and believe it and become just like us, to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life that is in his hands. Repent of your sin and believe the gospel. Ask someone to explain it to you. Get in touch with us if you'd like us to do that with you. It would be our joy. How do we wrap all this up then? How do we summarise this in one sentence as we have done the other four convictions? Well, perhaps we could say this. We make disciples in the world, around us, uh, in every square inch of the domain of darkness, through the local church and in the local church, in every aspect of our life together. Well, to help us think through what disciple making in the church looks like, I interviewed three of our members recently, Gordon and Estelle Lobin, 
and Adam McNitch, and I've asked them to share what they have done to establish new believers and equip mature believers too. Well, in the sermon today, I was uh, talking about the importance of joining together to help establish new believers. And let me ask you guys, Gordon Estelle and Adam, can I ask, did anyone do this with you to establish you in your faith uh, when you became a Christian? And what did you learn from that? Adam, you go first. Um, I have to say, not not particularly. Um, I didn't really grow up in that sort of church tradition. Um, outside of, I guess, uh, Sunday services and, and Sunday school, things like that, there wasn't too much by the way of what you're describing, per se. Sporadically, it's happened since then. Okay. Uh, university life, I can think of a few situations where I was in um, sort of groups of three and things like that where we uh, held each other accountable, but more sporadic than kind of a uh, planned, organised thing. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Gordon and Estelle, what about you? Did anyone do this with you? Um, so I haven't got much to report. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I became a Christian, I was in a group where there was far more experience and really lively things and very, very little Bible. Sure. But then I also was thrown into um, service without very, very little preparation. So we went to do street work in Cape Town in all the CD streets. Yeah. And I learned a lot there because we had some preparation there. But I would say that's it. Sure. What about you, Gordon? When, when I became a Christian, the friend who led me to the Lord, he gave me a number of um, navigator scriptures, about 10 of them that I had to learn off by heart. And shortly after that, my, the, the, the guy who was the person who was our pastor of our church heard that I'd become a Christian and he said to me, how about t taking a, teaching a Sunday school class? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was my introduction and then some time after that, uh, I went to Bible college. Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting just to note that, that it's, it can't be taken for granted that people who become Christians are established in their faith by a mature believer. That is definitely something that should happen. But actually, it's not always something that happens at all. Now, Gordon and Estelle, over the last few years, we know that you've taken a few new believers under your wings and discipled them, uh, probably in ways that you wish you had for yourselves. Tell us a little bit about what you've done and what that's looked like? Well, one couple we managed to, we, we had an opportunity and the privilege of actually just sharing with them. And it, we basically took the last week's sermon and we got together and we, we, um, we that was the basis of, of our getting together. And we, there were various, and we did this on a weekly basis for a number of months. Um, and that was basically how we actually got started. But I must stress that it was just part of a whole group. There were there, there were there was a lot of interaction from from the church, from different Christian brothers and sisters, uh, making them feel very part of, very part of things. And uh, so it was. And Colin uh, Colin Rogerson, he actually went through read various Bible books to 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 them and in some discussion as well arose out, out of that. Um, there was English Cafe, there was the um, IF Bible Studies and the, and the fellowship there. Um, but the church family certainly made, made them feel very much part of it and together and, uh, and 
um, warmth and loved. Excellent. So, yeah, I mean, it is a whole family thing, isn't it? But, was definitely. So you guys have done your bit, though. You've taken time out and you've just taken the sermon. So you've taken content that's already there. Now, Estelle, lead us through a little bit about what that little gathering of those couple of folks with you guys would look like. What, what would you do? Okay, so we kept it like really the arrangements, very simple, but uh, flexible, really emphasis on flexible, but consistent. So just because it was the four of us, it was really quite easy to arrange. Uh, I hope we don't sound all over the place, but in a way, it was because of flexibility. So we met weekly. That was consistent in what we did. We had a pattern. Uh, but really, every week we met either in a, in a different place or even on a different day because people had shifts of work. And I think because of that, we were able to meet uh, every week. So we would meet uh, in Princess Gardens. <laughs> the first time we went down to Cramont and we, we chose our own log and we pulled it over and sat on that. And we even ended up a couple of times <laughs> in Greyfriars and we chose special graves, you know, <laughs> so that we can face one another and we're not sort of sitting in the flow of, <laughs> of the tourists yeah. and so on. So I think that also links up with a sermon that we, we meet locally and that could really be anywhere. For somebody else, it could be in the kitchen or in a cof coffee shop or even when the chapel window opens again uh, in the chapel itself. Yeah. So very many contexts, but those were ours. So when you, when you take them through the sermon then from the previous Sunday, what does that look like? Do you, did you get them to take notes on the Sunday before or do you just say to them, what do you remember? What do you oh, no. What We didn't want to make it heavy for them and say, okay, you go and transcribe the whole sermon and then only, and you've got to know all the answers. They at least had to listen to the sermon. Yeah. And then as we looked at the sermon together, then, you know, oh, remember this illustration, remember those points, and so on. Mm. So I'll just say lastly, we always had something to eat. Yeah. So maybe something to maybe something baked, maybe a slab of chocolate, and maybe just Jaffa cakes and a flask of coffee and yeah. drinks. So it was really around yeah. just loving one another and sort of that warmth. So maybe you want to say what we actually did. Oh yes, I'll say a bit about the sermon. Yeah. Um, so we would in preparation we would listen to the sermon. Honestly, sometimes I even try to transcribe it, but it was a lot of time and I don't think it's necessary and we can even instead of just taking notes at church I hope this uh, you you okay with this but we could even then start to formulate questions mm, sure. for later for later in the week um, so it also we would try to prepare quite well yeah we couldn't just rock up there and then uh, we jot down a couple of statements from the sermon and formulate our questions we'll have a printout so that they know where we're going or even put it on a WhatsApp and they can look at it later. And then also in preparation, we, we just realize how dependent we're on the Lord. Because it's so unpredictable. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know what's going to happen, yeah. but still to be prepared. So you're helping them learn what's been taught and then also helping them to apply it. Is that the... Exactly. Mm -hmm. Gordon, you got anything else to add? 
Yeah, well, we started. We basically started off when we when we actually got together. We we um, prayed together. We read the passage together, yeah. um, and any questions they might have had flowing from the. And then we had, we had the various questions that we'd we'd actually been had prepared, yeah. and we'd go, go we'd go we'd go through that. Um, again, again, it was just sharing together and learning together, being together. And then when we were finished, if there was anything they wanted to pray for, then we would include that and then we would, we would basically pray together. Excellent. Well, that's really good. Uh, and I'm sure that these folks who have been discipled by you will look back and be interviewed maybe by a pastor in the future and reflect on the same question you've been asked and say, yeah, we were established. When we the, were one thing, the one thing, Liam, was, it was actually a joy and a privilege. Uh, oh. It was just such a, spe- a special time together. And the bonds that were, de- that were developed as a result of that time, those, those times together, were actually un- unreal. No doubt. Absolutely. Oh. Adam, you're getting ready to plant a new church in South Queen's Ferry, and uh, many of the folks joining you are mature believers, uh, but you're still discipling them, aren't you, to help them grow and get them ready for making and growing disciples as part of uh, Christchurch Queen's Ferry. Tell us a little bit about what you've done to help establish not, uh, establish these folks and help them grow uh, and equip them. Uh, what have you done and why? Um, well, let, let's start with a why. Um, if we look at the, the New Testament, we see Paul's ministry in, in uh, Colossians 1. Uh, his ministry to the church is... Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Yeah. Uh, so I take it from what Paul's saying that that is um, part of our responsibility in the church to, to do that, to present everyone mature in Christ. So that's kind of high level. And then what does that look like? Well, you think about all the one another commands, again, in the, in the New Testament, over 100 of them, and the vast majority relate to... Um, uh, how we relate to one another, or how we how we should not relate to one another. Um, so uh, things like just jotting down a few earlier. Uh, Romans twelve: be devoted to one another. Romans fourteen: build one another up. Romans fifteen: admonish one another. Uh, Galatians six: bear one another's burdens. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians four: uh, teach one another. Colossians three: uh, encourage one another. First Thessalonians five: exhort one another. Hebrews three. All these one another things are um, part and parcel of what it means to live together in Christian community. And I, I take it that obedience to that is, is, is imperative uh, as we live out what it means to be a church. Yeah. Um, so relationships that don't get beyond uh, the Great British Bake Off and the rugby and uh, the weather and COVID-19 and all that kind of stuff is is that that's that's deficient isn't it that's that's not what christian community that's not the sum total of what christian community is obviously it's fine to talk about these things but we must get beyond that if we're going to be obedient to the new testament so that that's really the why um and then what do we do well um for the ladies there was already the established pattern of of time out um which we're still uh operating ourselves so the ladies still still meet weekly uh together um, and in terms of the, the guys, what we started off really from the outset doing was uh, not, not unlike um, what Gordon and Estelle have touched on, gathering in smaller groups, groups of, of three we've done, yeah. um, uh, to just ask questions of each other's lives, again, on a weekly basis, flexible, like, like what um, Gordon and Estelle have touched on, uh, weekly uh, and, and involving food as well. 
funnily enough, um, we go to McDonald's or we have been going to McDonald's pre-lockdown. This um, is very, very unhealthy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you can get some good options, uh, good, good <laughs> breakfast options. Um, and, and yeah, so we've, we've used it. You use a variety of questions to, you know, what, 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 uh, yeah, what, what, um, what have you sort of learned in the scriptures this week in terms of different sins that we're battling with? We, we keep each other accountable on that in terms of our witness at work and uh, in our neighborhood all these kind of things we've, we've got a lot a lot of uh, things that we can choose from we don't do every question every week but there's a there's a kind of um a group of, of questions that we can choose from um but it is about consistency and it is about flexibility and i, th- I think three is quite a helpful number because yeah. uh, it, it means it always happens even if somebody's away on holiday the two can still meet yeah. Um, and three is a nice number to be able to kind of bear your soul to. Not everyone's uh, keen to share in a group of twelve or or something like that, but three seems seems fine, and uh, and, and it's worked well for us to the extent that I've now left that original group, and uh, we've put uh, someone else in that, to, so it's still a three. And then I've taken two of the newer um, people, uh, not two, two, two people that are new to this, and so we now have two groups uh, of three meeting and. Since we've grown a little bit in lockdown, there's a couple other guys uh, who you know we need to start thinking about adding into a group of three as well. But we just want that to be part and parcel of what we do uh, in in church life and recognizing that if uh, as guys we're uh, healthy, grown Christians, that has an impact on the church and an impact on our families uh, and different relationships as well. That's really helpful, guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. It was super helpful. Pleasure. Pleasure. Welcome. Well, I hope we found this refresher on disciple making helpful. We've sought in this series to clarify our convictions using the diagram and the question and little catechism, if you like, to try and make the answers to the why, the what, the the how, the who, and the where of disciple making stick. And will you make it stick? Will you be able to answer the question? Why do we make disciples? An answer, because God's goal in all of history is to glorify his son in the midst of the people he has rescued and redeemed. Or in response to the question, what is a disciple? You'll be able to say a forgiven sinner devoted to becoming like Jesus through learning and keeping the teachings of Jesus. Will you be able to answer, how are disciples made? By saying, Disciples are made by the persevering proclamation of the word of God, by the people of God in prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. Will you be able to answer the who question? Who makes disciples? Well, by their teaching, training and example, pastors and elders equip every Christian to be a Christ learner who helps others learn Christ. Or the the where question, where are we to make disciples? in the local church, in every aspect of our life together, and in the world around us, in every square inch of the domain of darkness, through the local church. Well, it all centres, of course, on the gospel, on Jesus Christ, our only hope, and our only boast in life. And that's what we're going to sing about to close.